Welcome back to another episode of the toughest podcast on the World Wide Web, the Calf Kick Experience, here with the Hard Hat Boys, as usual, Zach Gleason and Gage Hamby, coming at you live with another fire-ass episode, looking forward to a massive card this weekend. How's it going, Gage? Dude, I'm hard for 266, that's all I got to say. I don't think you could have said that better if you wanted to. This main card is about as good of a main card as we're going to get all year. And down to the first fight, this card is going to be some fucking action. Oh, yeah. Not to, not to mention, we did pretty well last week. I'm claiming a 4-0 like Sean O'Malley for last weekend. But we're not going to get into that, Zach. How did you do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on wood and hope the streak keeps going. Obviously, I made a very stupid mistake and tried to argue that Ryan Spann was going to outfight Anthony Smith. But other than that, man, our picks were spot on down to the technical breakdown, down to the method of victory, down to almost even the round on some of those. We were fucking on last week's card, and I plan to stay on this week's card like stink on shit. Like, why on rice, son? Let's get into it. All right. Let's get into it. So, UFC 266 this Saturday, the 25th. Yeah? Yeah, the 25th of September. Our first fight of UFC 266 is Jessica Andraz versus Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Andraz, nickname, Bate Estaca, which uh, roughly translates to muscle hamster in Portuguese. She's coming in at 21 and nine, former fly, flyweight, no, strawweight champion of the world. She's coming in at, at the flyweight division at 125, went at 5'1 with a 62 inch reach. And her opponent is Cynthia Calvillo, who, as we said, also in the flyweight division, coming at 5'4 with a 64 inch reach. So a little bit of height and reach advantage there for Cynthia. Zach. I got some pretty strong thoughts on this, but I'll let you get into it first. No, I, I agree, man. I have some very strong thoughts on this one, and I'm riding the fence on whether or not to call this one a big balls in Cowtown solely because I haven't done my earnest share of homework on Cynthia Calvillo, but I don't think it's really necessary here if we're being honest with each other. Jessica no, I- Andrade has only lost to the best of the best in, I think, either division she's fought at. I think she was in strawweight for a little while, and now she's up to the flyweight at 25. But look at her record, man. She's only lost to Shevchenko, Rose. She beat Rose once, actually. Wiley Zhang, Joanna, and Raquel Pennington in the past, since 2015. I just don't know how you can argue with that when she's beating girls like Rose. She beat her the first time. Tisha Torres, Angela Hill, Jojo Calderwood, Caitlin Chikugian. I just think this girl is getting better every time she fights. She's so strong and physically controlling in the cage. And usually I'm hesitant to call for a finish in a female mixed martial arts fight, especially at those at the lower weight class and especially those not involving Shevchenko or Amanda Nunes. But, man, I think she's going to get the finish here. I think it's going to be over very quickly, and I think it's going to be a dominant victory for Jessica Andrade. 
All right, folks, I'm going to take you to a picture real quick. This is Jessica Andrade right here. No, that's not a 12-year-old boy that's all jacked up on hormones, i.e. steroids. But it's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> she's uh, she's going to dom and Nate Cynthia Calvillo. I was so impressed uh, with Jessica Andrade's you know, prior record and who she's beaten, who she's lost to. But Cynthia Calvillo, so unimpressive. I watched her fight against Jessica I, and she just kind of took her down. It wasn't menacing. It wasn't intimidating. It wasn't dominant. She doesn't have good takedowns, really. I mean, they're all right, but they ain't great. She's not going to be able to take down Andrade. Andrade is just built like a brick shithouse. And uh, her boxing looked subpar. It, it didn't look cr- like the opposite of crisp. It looked like stale. I don't fucking know. But like, it's Jessica Andrade all day here, folks, at the Calf Kick Experience. Fuck Cynthia Calvillo. It's not even about fuck her, man. It's just like there's nothing that I see, like you said, that's intimidating or something that I would need to watch for in this fight, especially because her main tactic is to use the wrestling lay and pray almost Derek Brunson style. But I mean, Andrade is beating wrestlers. She's beating, she beat Chikagian, who's one of the better wrestlers in that division. She's beating girls that are supposed to get her on the ground. And the only person that was able to get her on the ground and keep her there was the champ. So I, I don't have a hard time seeing her just absolutely run through Cynthia Calvillo, just like you said. Cynthia Calvillo is going to get picked up and slammed on her head. Mark my words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the odds. That was fairly quick. I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of people out there with the same sentiment as us on that fight. All right. There's just no reason to waste these people's time, man. We know what's going to happen here. Why play devil's advocate for a stupid fight that Calvillo's not going to win? No shot. Jessica Andrade is coming in as a heavy favorite at minus 240, and Cynthia Calvillo is coming out at plus 225 underdog here. Anything piquing your interest, Zach? I mean, not really, and this is my first time taking a look at the odds for this card as a whole. Andrade, Andrade by TKO is not bad. I mean, I would take that. I don't. I don't think this is going to decision. No, I agree. Calvillo is just, you know, super tough. But Andrade, I think she's just going to ragdoll her. No, I agree, man. And all of the money line odds for this main card are pretty, pretty different. They're pretty high. We're seeing a lot of pretty high favorites predicted in this card. So if you want to make money, it's probably going to have to be in the props unless we throw together some parlays and match some fights together which is obviously a possibility, but I agree with Gage, man. I think Vegas sees this fight going to decision. The calf kick experience does not. I think Andrade by TKO at plus 250 is an incredible odds for that bet. And then even looking at the rounds, under two and a half rounds at plus 125 will probably get you paid. If you're feeling ballsy, like you know I'm known to do, under one and a half rounds at plus 200 might play. But other than that, I think Andrade inside distance plus 170, pair that up with Andrade by TKO. No, I agree. I'm not seeing any high level submission attempts out of either of these people. If it's going to be a submission, 
it's going to be with something pretty simple, like a rear naked, perhaps an arm bar, but I, I don't see that being the way the fight goes. I don't see Andrade going out there and trying to get a technical victory. I see her imposing her will and leaving particularly dominantly. No, I mean, if you watch any of her fights, it's scorched earth approach, right? She's going balls to the wall all the time, trying to get a finish, trying to inflict the most damage possible. She is a menace in the octagon, even when she loses, dude. I mean, it's the most crazy thing you've seen, but. I mean, if anything, looking at her last performance against Valentina Shevchenko, it has nothing to do with Andrade's level of skill because she's a good fucking fighter. But it just is a testament to how good Valentina Shevchenko is. And we'll talk about her later, but I think I think Jessica Andrade is going to return to that dominant form again. I agree with you. All right, moving on. Our second fight of the night. We have Curtis Blades. Razor Blades, actually. He's coming in. He's fighting Jarzinho, Biggie Boy, Rosenstrike. Both guys are, well, never mind. Jarzinho's had a win uh, before his last loss. But uh, Curtis Blades is coming off a loss to Derek Lewis, I believe, uh, where he got absolutely uppercutted into non-existence and almost got his head decapitated, which was unfortunate. Anywho, he's coming at 6'4", weighing 259 with the 80-inch reach. While Biggie Boy Jarzinho is coming at 6'4", 254, 78-inch reach. Um, this is really just a classic wrestler versus kickboxer matchup here. Um, these are two guys that were in contention for the heavyweight title, but have been recently eliminated by a, their opponents, really. Um, so, Zach? I got to say, man... This is a tough one. This is definitely a tough one. And it's it's tough because I feel bad for both of these guys. It just seems like they're circling the world of that heavyweight championship opportunity in a paper canoe. Anytime they get close to it, the shit just sinks, man. I think this fight is really going to determine which one of them stays relevant in that conversation and which one of them kind of drops a little bit further down. Um, The way I look at it technically... I mean, Derek Lewis scripted how to beat Curtis Blades. For everybody else that's going to fight him after that fight, it's when he shoots to wrestle, you're going to have to time a strike with either a knee or an uppercut or something and catch him in the face when he's entering to take you down. I think Derek Lewis trained that punch for months before the fight, and I think he knew exactly what he was going to throw when he got in there against Blades. That was the only punch he threw. I just mean, if you look at that fight, Blades was winning and not for the for the little amount of time that it went on. Blades was kicking his ass until he decided to shoot for that takedown. I don't think he's going to have the same level of success on the feet against Jarzinho, who I think is a much more technical striker than Derek Lewis. I think he's got much more technique behind his stand up kickboxing. But I think Blades should be very confident in his striking going into this fight. I don't think he should have any reason to shoot for a desperation takedown against Rosenstrike. And I don't think that Blades is a guy we see going backwards and running away from guys that are known to have power. You know, he fought Francis straight up twice and is vying to fight Francis for a third time. I don't know anybody in their right mind that wants to fight Francis and Ganu three fucking times. 
It, I think it, you it, went to a decision insane. the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis Who goes to the decision with Francis? Just him. I, I can't name anybody off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think what we saw out of Curtis Blaze last time out was obviously <laughs> he got slept, sent into the shadow realm, whatever you want to call it. This guy got shattered. His, you know, championship aspirations got shattered before his eyes. Thanks to Derek Lewis's one punch uppercut that, you know, was frankly terrifying. Right. Um, I think he did show not excellent striking, but I think improved, definitely improved. He's not like how he was where he was just straight up, uh, just wrestler. And that was it. He showed something there. I like that. Now he needs to couple that with his off already excellent, probably the best wrestler in the heavyweight division. Now he needs to come in closer. He's going to need to work to get those takedowns. He can't just shoot or he's going to get knocked out again. I don't think it's going to happen necessarily because that's the only way that you can really defend that from an offensive standpoint is either a knee up the middle or an uppercut to take out uh, Curtis Blades, you know, wrestling. So that's, I feel like that's highly unlikely. I'm going to go with Blades here because I think his wrestling, he's going to use a different strategy to get in without getting clipped. I think he might use more clinch scenarios to kind of get those takedowns. Um, but I just think Jarzinho on his back is just going to be absolutely awful to watch. I don't think he has anything for him on the ground, and I think Curtis Blades knows that. I don't think Curtis Blades wants a stand-up war with Jarzinho because I think he knows he would lose that. But I think he might take a couple shots – to get the takedowns. And once he gets them taken down once, I think it's really just going to be game set match. I think that he's going to impose his like will on Jarzinho. No, I 100%. I 100% agree. I think Curtis blades learned a lesson from that Derek Lewis knockout. I think he's going to be much more careful with the way he goes about using his offensive wrestling. Because against these top guys, it's dangerous to just go in there and shoot when everybody and their grandmother knows that you're going to go in there and shoot. I think it would do him some justice to gain Jarzinho's respect on the feet. I don't know how easy it's going to be to do that. But once he gets Jarzinho to start having to think about his strikes, it'll be just that much easier to get him on the ground. And I agree with exactly what you're saying. I don't think we see anything in terms of activity for Jarzinho off his back. And I think once Blades gets him there, it's completely within the realm of possibility that he mounts up, postures up, and ground and pounds him out. Like, we, know, I, we know for a fact Jarzinho is not going to submit him from a bottom. You can take that to the bank. No. I, and I Curtis, think... Curtis Blades' ground and pound is disgusting. His, his elbows are probably some of the best. Uh, from a ground and pound perspective, no matter what weight division, they're heavy and they do damage. He's not a boring top rest, top position, you know, wrestler. No, I just, I just find it crazy, and maybe I'm criminally underestimating what Jarzinho is capable off of, capable of off of his back in terms of being able to scramble and get up. But I really don't think it will take Blades more than one or two takedowns in this fight to find that mount. And once he gets to the mount position. He's heavy. He throws those big strikes. The razor blades elbows that Gage is talking about are vicious and will cut you up. And I just, I don't think Jarzinho is going to be able to get up. 
So I think if he can get him down early in the first round, I'm almost going to be willing to call it Curtis Blades first round ground and pound TKO. But I could absolutely see that leaking over into the second. Long story short, this fight is not going to decision, even if Jarzinho wins. And I, I find it very unlikely that it's going to even go to the third round. Yeah. Um, I like, even though Jarzinho is a good kickboxer, I mean, some would say one of the best kickboxers in the heavyweight division. He's, he stays stationary. He doesn't move well. And I think that's really going to hurt him against Curtis Blades. You saw the same thing with Cyril gone, just bouncing everywhere. It was giving Jarzinho tons of trouble. I mean, but, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think he's a flat-footed fighter. And I find it funny that whoever wins or whoever loses here, regardless, could play very easily into Derek Lewis for their next fight, whether it be a rematch for Blades, which I think would be well-deserved, or whether – I don't know if it's just me, but I've been waiting for the UFC to do Rosenstrike versus Lewis for a long time yeah. because they both hit hard as fuck. And ironically enough, they kind of look the same. <laughs> All right. Curtis Blades is your minus 300 favorite. That's quite sizable. And Jarzinho is the underdog at plus 265. Come on. Give me some props, Zach. What are you thinking? I mean, minus 300 is only valuable to me in terms of a parlay play. Um, parlay or prop. I think it's I think it's interesting that Vegas is going to agree with us that this fight is probably not going to go to the third round. Probably not. So I, I don't know. I, I don't find. I don't find it to be too enticing to play plus 145 for under one and a half rounds or minus 145 for under two and a half rounds. Um. I don't know. Fight won't start round three at minus 122 might play. Blades wins by TKO at plus 120 will definitely play for me. Yeah, I, think, then, I think that's what I'm looking at as well. I don't know. Blades wins inside the distance at plus 115. But other than that, I'm not coy enough to pull the trigger on Blades wins in round one at plus 330 nor that Blades wins in round two at plus 600. I think those are tasty odds, and I think if you're feeling slightly more confident that Blades will get that takedown and ground and pound him out in one, it doesn't make any sense not to play that bet, but I think there's just too much uncertainty in that aspect to where, I don't know, I'd almost say that I'm, I'm probably going to hold off on this fight, except to use Curtis Blades as a as a parlay play and then maybe to play his knockout bet solo. Yeah. I think that that's pretty solid advice. I mean, I think we're both pretty staunch on that. I mean, well, we always say it. it's hard to bet against somebody that has the wrestling credentials and that can just take people down the most it's debatable whether somebody wins a, you know, stand up boxing match when they're trading, but it's definitive when somebody's on top and controlling. So, no, I mean, Rosenstrike came out in his last fight against Augusto Sakai and basically just swarmed him, backed him up against the cage and devoured him like a lion eating prey. I just don't see Curtis Blades being that guy that's going to get flustered and get into that habit of going backwards and trying to avoid Jarzinho. 
I don't think he has any fear of him. I think he's going in there to do business. And I think title shots, I think John Jones, I think Stipe Miocic, I think a lot of big names and big players and just big factors come to the winner of this fight. Yep. I can't agree more. All right. Fight number three, folks. We have a fight 17 years in the making. We have Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz, number two. Robbie Lawler, veteran of the octagon, been, been here forever since the early 2000s. He's coming off a four-fight skid, which is never a good thing. Uh, he's always fought in the welterweight division of 170, uh, former welterweight champion uh, in the UFC for a couple years, I believe. Uh, he's coming at 5'11", the 74-inch reach. And Nick Diaz on the other side, he's coming at six foot, 185 and 76 inch reach. Find out Stockton, motherfucker, California. Um, this is an interesting fight because uh, I heard Dana White talking about last night that he doesn't know if this fight's going to be held at middleweight. Diaz camp wants it at middleweight. Robbie's doesn't know. So it'll be interesting if Nick's going to have to cut to 170 or they're going to fight at 185. I feel like this is a little late to be, you know, discussing this, right? Well, it's interesting because I've heard that the fight is going to take place under the 185 limit, but they just announced that this week. So that could only lead a reasonable person to imply a couple of things being one, that one of these guys isn't going to be able to make weight. It appears that that is going to be Nick Diaz because his is the camp that's vying for this 185 weight class change. I don't imagine that Robbie Lawler is going to turn it down. I don't really imagine that it's going to matter to Robbie Lawler. The dude's ruthless. He wants to fight. But I, I do have to give props to Nick Diaz because it sounds like he picked up an injury somewhere in his camp that's going to prevent him from making weight. And rather than cancel the match, he's like, just move the weight class. I want to get in there and fight. It sounds like Robbie wants to do the thing. So I'm not even completely opposed to moving the weight on this one. I don't think it really plays into either camp's advantage in any way. This is, this is a name legacy kind of fight. This doesn't have any bearing on a division. So that's why it whoa, doesn't whoa, matter. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I disagree, man. I think if Nick Diaz wins, everybody at 170 is going to want a piece of that. Masvidal is going to call him out. Well, well, they're going to call him out for the money fight and to, you know, be a headliner, but it doesn't have any, I said, it doesn't have any bearing on necessary rank right now. Obviously. Yeah. Bigger fights. Sure. Um, I think this is an interesting matchup. You don't know what you're going to get out of either guy. It's not like Robbie Lawler's been getting KO'd. He hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't got the Chuck Liddell effect yet where he's just super chinny, um, which I thought when I saw he lost four fights in a row because I haven't really been keeping up with him lately, but I went back on watch. He still puts up a fight. He really does. Um, he got destroyed by Neil Magny, though, took, taken down, just, you know, dismantled in the clinch work, whatnot. But his fight against Colby Covington was it was, uh, it was a good fight to watch. Um, I think one thing I saw from Robbie that I did not like in that fight particularly was he was throwing one punch. He wasn't throwing combos, and that, that's kind of worrisome. Also, I, the domination, the clinch work, that really worries me because that's kind of the Diaz's thing. They, they throw a punch. If they miss, they grab the back of the head, and they try to clinch up. 
And I think that Nick Diaz, we don't know what kind of Nick Diaz we're going to see. He hasn't been in the octagon in five years. The last fight he had was against Anderson Silva. So um, it'll be interesting. But you always know that the Diaz's are going to be in shape and they like to throw. So I think this has the mat, the like writing on the wall to be a great fight. I think, I honestly think Nick Diaz is going to take it to him. He's going to have the output. He's going to have the consistency. Now, is there going to be ring rust? Is there going to be errors in his game plan? Who knows? But I think it's going to be an entertaining fight to watch no matter what. No. Also, I, is I, it is this a five round fight? I believe it is. No, I think it got. I think it was originally scheduled. It might be. It might be. Um. I'll look, look it up. up. Yeah, we should look that up. But look, uh, look that up and discuss. Uh, I, I just there there's a lot of fights that we've talked about since we started doing this show that I distinguish between the fighters based on certainty. I know what I'm going to get for them. I know what I'm going to get from them. And then uncertainty where I'm just not completely sure what we're going to see from the guy. Typically, I, I'm willing to at least consider taking a risk on uncertainty when the guy's a prospect. But we're not looking at prospects here. We're looking at legends of the sport who are kind of aging out of that level of serious title contention. And they're only still around to put on these, you know, crazy mega fights, five round non-title fight, Gage just confirmed, which has only happened once before for Nick's brother, Nate. I, I just, I, I think it's crazy that they're even still around to do this, but I think on this, I think on this fight, I'm going to err on the side of certainty. I know I'm, I know what I'm going to get from Robbie Lawler. Really? He's going to come out, and he's going to grind. He's not going to throw with the same output that he necessarily was when he was champion. He's not going to beat anybody who's in the top five of the welterweight division right now. But when you look at his losses, he's got in the since 2017 a decision loss to RDA, a bulldog choke submission loss to Ben Askren. And he was whooping Ben Askren before then. A decision loss to Colby and a decision loss to Magny. We're looking at guys that can very, very easily impose their will when it comes to wrestling and when it comes to the ground game. And I just don't see the same for Nick Diaz. I think he's one of the few people in the sport we can say is particularly dangerous off of his back when he gets taken down. But I don't see him doing a lot of the taking down. I don't see him doing a lot of the top control. Uh, so I don't know. I think in a straight-up striking match, Nick Diaz might have the cardio advantage, and I think five rounds would probably play into his favor. But I don't know, man. Something is leading me to take Robbie Lawler here. Maybe it's what I see as the power discrepancy between the two on the feet. And maybe I'm not even sure what Nick Diaz's chin is capable of anymore. But I'm pretty confident in what Robbie Lawler's chin is still capable of. He hasn't been knocked out since Tyron did it to him back in 2016. And 2016, Tyron Woodley was a fucking animal. Carlos Condit couldn't knock him out. Rory McDonald couldn't knock him out. Johnny Hendricks. Rory, Rory McDonald beat him. I just mean he didn't knock him out. Okay. But, Anywho, all right. So let me get back to my point why Nick Diaz is going to win. Look, he, he's like I said, the output, the weaponized pressure is going to play a far, part, definitely, in my opinion. Now, 
it's going to be him throwing one extra punch. Whenever Robbie throws a punch, Nick Diaz is always going to throw one. And his counters and his accuracy are spot on. I went back and watched the tape on Nick Diaz. His accuracy on his punches, especially his counters, while slipping, so underrated. You couldn't even imagine how underrated and criminally underrated he was, even though he didn't necessarily fight in the UFC throughout his career. Um, his fight against Paul Daly for the Strike Force title, crazy. And, he, you know, I don't think he's the hardest hitter. He's not, but it's the accuracy. It's hitting somebody on the button and turning out their lights. So I, I think that plays a part. When you can catch somebody clean on the chin, that, that's a whole new dimension. You know, you don't have to have Francis power to knock somebody out when you have the accuracy um, and the slip and rip like Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz does. So, and I think he has an advantage on the ground too. And the dirty boxing. I think the clinch work is going to be huge in this fight. Um, just like with any other Diaz fight. I think the dirty boxing and going to the body. I think going to the body is going to, especially going to take some out of Robbie Lawler uh, as the fight goes along. I just I can't count out the former champ, man. I can't count out Robbie Lawler in this fight just because I mean, at the end of the day, he doesn't have that one punch knockout that I think he used to. But just looking at it, man, based on the logistics behind this fight, I I just don't know what I'm getting from Nick Diaz, especially if there's an injury that's preventing him from missing weight that nobody's going to disclose to us until after the fight. I, I don't know if Robbie's going to beat him in a five-round decision. I just don't think that Robbie Lawler is going to hold up for five rounds the same way he would have, you know, several years ago. I think Nick Diaz is built to last five rounds, so I think if you get into the championship rounds, I will see that the advantage tends, I mean, seems to sway pretty favorably towards Diaz. But I think in those first three rounds, I think Robbie's going to find a way to get it done and – I'd be willing to play Robbie Lawler by a second round TKO. All right, let's get in the odds. But remember this. It's Stockton, motherfucker. Yeah. All right, Nick Diaz coming at plus 105. Robbie Lawler is at minus 110. So last time I looked at this, they're both at minus 110. So it looks like money's coming in on Lawler, right? hmm Yeah. So, I mean – Pretty even, almost a pick them in some situation. Uh, what are your props looking like? Um, in terms of props, I'm not 100% set yet. But what I will say is that if you're going to play Robbie Lawler like I am, you need to get your bet in ASAP because it seems like Gage said that the money is only going to go in his direction the more we get to learn about this Nick Diaz situation. And I just see those odds getting further apart. So if you're going to play Nick Diaz, I think it would be safe to say, don't lay that bet down until Saturday morning because you're going to get better odds. But looking at it, man, I don't know. It's, it's favorited to go to decision. So I think that either way you look at it, playing the fight doesn't go to decision at plus 150 is not a horrible bet, especially if you're, if you're going to look at Lawler as a victor here. Um, let's see. I would take Lawler by TKO at plus 300. That's the only thing that really supports my theory here. I would say, I mean, I would say, honestly, 
I'd say Diaz wins by split slash majority decision at plus 750. That's worth a shot to me. I mean, couple that with the plus 105 that he's at right now. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Look, I'm almost, and it's sad that when but Gage that's and I, not something I'd be super confident in. No, I just mean it's sad that when we see these mega odds, these massive odds, it's like I have to at least consider it. So looking at a hedge or looking at something that could play into my favor, even if I lose, you know, the decision here, the pick here, Diaz by submission at plus 900. Robbie is not, I mean, unknown for being submitted. It's not like he's a black belt jujitsu specialist, perhaps like the Diaz brothers are. And I, I mean, I don't know. I don't hold it out. I, I think that Nick Diaz is a very smart fighter. So on the chance that he rocks Robbie Lawler, I don't see him jumping on it and going for the finish by TKO. I see him very craftily working a submission in there and tapping him out. I also think in the off chance that Nick Diaz ends up on his back here, a submission's always in play in that situation, man. All right. Nick Diaz put a chimney on my <laughs> fucking stick, boy. Let's I was go. about to say, Robbie Lawler, let's freaking jack it up, but... First split CKE pick of the card. Let's see if we have any more. All right. Move on to Valentina Shevchenko. Coming in with her flyweight strap against her opponent, Lauren Murphy. All right. The bullet is on a five-fight win streak. Probably longer than that. She's been just murking everybody that's not named uh, Amanda Nunes. Uh, she's coming in at 5'5 five, five with a 65 and a half inch reach. And we have Lauren Murphy here uh, coming in as a huge underdog. Uh, she's coming at 5'5 five, five with a 68 inch reach. The bullet, man. What can we say about her? She is phenomenal. She is probably the, if it were not for Amanda Nunes, she would be undoubtedly the GOAT of women's MMA. Um, I don't think she gets enough credit. I think Amanda Nunes steals all the shine. But, I mean, at flyweight, there's never been anybody better. There's never been anybody as dominant. And if it weren't for Amanda Nunes, she'd be a double belt strap, and she'd be kicking everybody's ass in featherweight too. Yeah, uh, she would. And yeah, bantam. she would. And bantam. But uh, she's just going to ground and pound. She's going to win this by whatever means necessary. Whatever she picks, she's so well-rounded. Her striking's good. But, you know, we saw this in the Jessica and Josh fight. She put Andrade down to the ground and just pummeled her into oblivion like she was a child, which is hard to do, especially with how strong Andrade is. I mean, it was it was a masterclass performance. It's going to be another masterclass performance. I don't think Laura Murphy is going to have a shot at anything. I don't think she's that great. Yeah, she's tough and she's kind of strong, but she kind of got she definitely <laughs> got outstruck by JoJo Calderwood in her last fight. Someone could even say she lost the fight to JoJo. Uh, she's not taking down Valentina Shevchenko by any means. So this, <laughs> there's a reason why the odds are so high on this. No, I absolutely agree, man. And you just hit it. I'm, I'm actually still frustrated even. It, it fires me up on the inside still that Lauren Murphy won that fight against JoJo Calderwood. And at the end of the day, the way, what that says to me and what I'm saying to you people is that I don't think she deserves to be here. And I think that in not deserving to be here, 
it's just Valentina needed somebody to fight. She needed another victim to just dismantle. And Lauren's Murphy, Lauren Murphy's name just got pulled out of the hat. Valentina beat Andrade with a fucking crucifix in that last fight. She's got a dirty, she got a dirty crucifix position, and that is a really difficult position to get into against another trained professional fighter. That's not something helpless. that's easy to accomplish. It's the most helpless position you could probably be in. Yeah, I mean... There's a reason it's called a crucifix. It, it quite simply is that when you get into that position, you're fucked. I mean, looking at Lauren Murphy, though, she's from our hometown. That's Derek Lewis's girl, so I don't want to take this too far into a roast, but who is she beating? Nobody. I mean, she beat Roxanne Motafari. I'll give her that one, but, like, she lost to Sajara Eubanks. She lost to Caitlin Chikugian. She lost to Liz Carmouche. Like, this is going to be a spotlight that's way too big for her. She's never fought anybody like Valentina before. And I completely agree with you, man. After seeing the way she fought against JoJo Calderwood, Valentina has the striking advantage. Valentina has the wrestling advantage. She has the ground game advantage. She has it's quite everything. It's, it's quite simply going to turn into... How does she decide to win this fight? When? What does she want to do? Like, because at this point, it seems like she's vying for that trilogy with Nunez at 135. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see her want to go out there and make a statement and get this fight over and done with so she can turn around and fight again. But I think you and I are both very, very stoutly stuck on the fact that Lauren Murphy is going to have a very, very difficult time finding even the slightest bit of success against Valentina Shevchenko. This is going to be the equivalent to a no-hitter in baseball. As we can see, folks, um, yeah, Lauren Murphy is a plus 950 favorite. That's ridiculous. Shevchenko at minus 1115. That is tough. But may I say, this is the most solid money you could bet on. This is a bomb. big balls, big balls in Cowtown. Big, big balls, balls in Cowtown. You, this is the same return as you get on a bond from the government, which is a hundred percent return. So whatever you get, you're getting, bro. Uh, I mean, like, where where do we go from here on the prop bet side, right? Um, I would just definitely like, go down I, to TKO, like, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's criminal. That's criminal. Plus 110. That's, take that to the fucking bank right now. She wins by TKO. Right. Come on. I'm, I'm even willing to say under one and a half rounds at plus 175, TKO is going to bank. I, I'm with Gage. TKO is going to bank. So let me just start out saying that. But under one and a half at plus 175. And then... Let's see. Shevchenko wins inside the distance at minus 200. If you want to just play your straight money line and not have minus over a thousand, that's not horrible. But Shevchenko wins in round one at plus 270. That's the best positive money. It looks like you're going to find on here. So I'm, I'm willing to take it plus plus 270. Shevchenko wins in round one plus 110. Shevchenko wins by TKO. And then bump, 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 plus 175 that the fight is under one and a half rounds. I'd just like to make it known that 
like Gage said, this is guaranteed. This is 100% return. So if you have the money to do it and don't want to go about it, the method we're describing, and you want to play, fuck, $10,000, $100,000 on Shevchenko, you're going to get a solid return, even though the odds are shit. You just got to play higher money. And in regards to parlays, when the odds are this high, it's a guaranteed win. But she's only gonna it's only gonna bring your odds down. So looking at some of the other fights on this card, I would err towards using Andrage in a parlay or Curtis Blades in a parlay with a little bit higher odds, but this isn't gonna do anything other than screw your return. So unless you're gonna go with a prop or bet the house on Shevchenko, I say you just sit back and admire her greatness. Yeah, she's gonna this gonna be a Oklahoma beatdown. Amen to that. All right. To the main event we go, folks. All right. This week's headliner main event is Alexander the Great Volkanovsky versus Brian Low-T City Ortega. These guys have been mixing it up on the uh, Ultimate Fighter for some time now. Um, Both coming off wins. We have the champion fighting out of Australia, uh, coming at 5'6", 145 in the featherweight division with a 71-and-a-half-inch reach. And his opponent, Brian Loti City, is coming at 5'8", with a 69-inch reach. So um, this is a – stylistically, this is an interesting matchup for for quite a few reasons. And it's also interesting their common opponents and who they fought and how they've looked. Um, they both have fought Max Holloway. Max Holloway, arguably the GOAT uh, of the featherweight division, right? He dismantled Brian Ortega, look, took him to school, looked him, made him look bad. And then on the other hand, you have uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, who beat him twice, arguably. You know, you can say that was a bad decision or whatever. It was close, but still inked out two wins versus Max Holloway. I mean, I, I don't know where to go from here, Zach. You want me to be completely honest? I'll tell you where to go with it. Look at T, low T-City's record. I need, to, I need to go ahead and explicate because I realize that some of the people I interact with on the Calf Kick Experience Instagram account and a surprisingly large percentage of the people that watch these videos are from the whole ass other side of the world. So shout out to the Middle Eastern countries and India and all of the people out there that are watching from the other side of the world where it's dark right now. But low T-City, man, low testosterone. It's easy. It's, it's very simple to say that this guy's a bitch and that he, <laughs> do, he doesn't like it when things get hard in there, man. When things get hard, Brian Ortega quits. It's just as simple as that. Look at the guy's record. He kicked cans. I mean, fucking bigger cans than Sean O'Malley has claimed to have fought. From 2010 until 2016, I'll say a win over Clay Guida is solid. I'm not going to say that it's great, but it's solid. A win over Cub Swanson in 2017, I mean, decent. Frankie Edgar in 2018 is not the same Frankie Edgar as, you know, used to exist in his prime. He's past prime there. That doesn't do anything for Ortega. Maybe the zombie is, that's it. I mean, he beat the zombie, and that's the only guy out of this whole list of people that he's beaten 
that's even still ranked at 45. He lost to Holloway. Everybody else that he's beaten isn't even ranked at 45 anymore. So I don't know how we can honestly look at this guy and say that he's the number one contender. I don't think he's a number one contender ahead of Max. I would have rather seen the trilogy. Even though it's 0-2 Volkanovski, I would have rather seen the trilogy. I don't think he's ranked – it should be ranked higher than Yair. After his last performance, I don't even think he should be ranked higher. I think Giga Chikadze kicks his ass. I'm very passionate about this because I think Volkanovski is one of the most criminally underrated champions that the UFC has ever had. Not just in recent history, not just current champ, but ever. The guy is so good at just getting to his point on striking. It's not about, oh, I'm going to outstrike you in this master class of like rhythmic, uh, you know, attachment like a dance. He's just going to beat you to the punch every single time. He's going to be in good position. He's going to have good technique. And the dude can fucking wrestle. We haven't seen him need to use it over, you know, like overuse it. We haven't seen him need to abuse his ability to wrestle. But it's always there, man. Once you're good at something like that, it doesn't just go away. I think low T-City is slow. I think that spinning back elbow he hit the zombie with, my fucking grandmother could have slipped. I mean, it was it was not slick. You ain't slick, T-City. Not in the fucking slightest. I think Volkanovsky's going to go out there. He's going to establish what we've known him to establish. Striking that may not be the most damaging but will score nonetheless. I think Volkanovsky is going to be winning this fight two rounds to one going into four. And I think Ortega is going to find a place where, well, this is uncomfortable and I'm fucking tired and my body doesn't feel good. So he's going to quit, man. I would not be surprised to see Volkanovsky finish this fight in the championship rounds. And I'm going to say by a TKO, I'm going to say he finds the punch that wobbles him late in the fight and just, jumps on it for the finish i i think um more analytical perspective of this fight i think that volkanovsky what he's really good at is touching and going touching and going. i don't think he gets enough credit he's not the fastest guy but he's smooth enough to get in and get out without getting hurt his leg kicks prime example they they slap they they hurt they they damage the leg real bad but he doesn't get hit when he goes in on those. When he goes in for a punch, I mean, Max is like, what, six inches taller than him? Something crazy, yeah. five inches. And he was darting in on him and getting shots on Max, which is a hard thing to do. However, I do think that's going to be dangerous against Brian because Brian relies heavily on elbows. Like That's like one of his defenses. He comes up with those elbows from a position like this or something like that. And he likes those elbows. And I think that if Alexander is not careful with that, then he's going to get caught. And that could be, that could spell doom. But I don't necessarily think that's going to happen because he knows that. Um, Brian also likes to keep people at range. He likes to kick a little front kick, a little oblique kick, teeps, whatnot. And I think that mm, depending on how Alexander decides to combat that i don't think that's going to be a real big issue because he knows all this already he's a champion he's going to come in prepared he's going to come in for the five-round fight i mean how many five-rounders has uh t-city been in two maybe yeah i mean 
I just I I think Alexander Volkanovsky, like he says, criminally underrated as a champion. He doesn't get the respect. I think he gets his respect this time. I think he shows the world that he deserves to be here. I just I just find it interesting, man, because it seems like a lot of people are leaning on Ortega's jujitsu to find him this victory here. Volkanovsky has never in his professional career been submitted. Volkanovsky hasn't submitted anybody since 2015 and since before he was in the UFC. I don't think jujitsu is going to even be a factor in this fight if we're being honest with each other. Unless it's a standing guillotine. I mean, yeah, other other than a standing guillotine, which would probably come on Volkanovsky shooting for a lazy takedown, which I just don't see happening. I, I think... He's very, I think Volkanovsky can best be described as overtly intentional. He doesn't do any movements in there that aren't intended to either set something up or land. He's not in there wasting his energy. So I I think that Volkanovsky is going to walk out of there and not in easy fashion. I think Ortega is going to put up a fight. I think Ortega is going to, you know, at least offer some resistance and probably at points have people convinced that he's going to swing the momentum and perhaps win the fight. But Volkanovsky's too good, man. Volkanovsky is, he's too good. I don't know how else to put it, man. Yeah. It's, it's inexplainable how this guy is beating up people like Max Holloway and Jose Aldo and freaking some of the greatest 145ers looking down his resume. You can't explain I, it. Like you, you, they're, there's you can't put your finger on the secret to his sauce, right? I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now, which he's just good. There's no other way to put it. He's just good. And that's why he's a 163 favorite this weekend, minus 163. And Ortega is the plus 150 underdog. Um, wh- what do you think? I don't think, like, I think this fight goes in my mind. I think Volkanazi gets another decision here. Um, I don't know where that's at. Yeah, I think out. I think Volkanovski Volkanovski at minus one sixty three in a parlay just money line is going to boost your odds for that parlay and it's going to hit. Yeah. So that's that's my personal favorite here that I like. I, I don't know, man. I, I think the finish is going to come sooner rather than later, or later rather than sooner, if that's how you want to look at it. So maybe. Under four and a half rounds at plus 120, he'll find you a positive money bet. Volkanovski by TKO at plus 410 is certainly something I'm going to play, but I'm not sure that it's something I'm so confident on. I'm going to suggest others to play it. I would suggest staying away from any sort of submission bet like we talked about. And I don't, I mean, Volkanovski inside the distance at plus 360. I don't know how else to put it. These two don't like each other either. Yeah, Volkanovski fucking hates Ortega, especially after their time on the Ultimate Fighter together. Fucking hates him. Yeah, I mean, I think we both can agree that uh, Volkanovski is going to get this one done, but it's just a matter of how he's going to get this one done. So, yeah. I don't I have mean, any. I, 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 I can't say. You know, I'm not real definitive on this one. I really think this is going to go to decision in my mind. I think where we do stand definitively and collectively is that low T city is going to get worked, man. Low T city is going to get worked. 
<laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck, Fuck that, that guy. guy. <laughs> All right, let's get on to our championship five-minute round, Zach. Let me load up the timer. We got our fighters coming out of their break, getting off the stool, all bloodied and beat the fuck up, and they're ready still for five more. You ready? I'm ready. Let's get it. All right. Yoel Romero fought this past Saturday. Homie said he thought it was a five-round bout. You could see him visibly angry after the third round when they said, that's it. I mean, I know he doesn't speak that well of English, but uh, the guy with the long mustache beard said, third and final round, fight. Mike Beltran. Yeah, Mike Beltran. He's a freaking statement. It was just, that was just almost scary, man. Like, I know Yoel's body still looks good. I know he still looks like freaking Adonis, but he did not look very good as a fighter. Yoel versus Tyron Woodley at like a catch weight of 185 could perhaps be the most, the most boring fight that any promotion could put on right now. But I mean, looking at it, Yoel did not look nearly as good at 205 as he used to look at 185. Yoel probably would have gotten hurt pretty badly if they had gone through with Romero V rumble Johnson at 205. That probably would not have been very fun. It was a boring fight. And Scott Coker still seems to have faith in him to rebound because he's got that one-punch power that can put people out. I I think I'd be more willing to argue that he had that one-punch knockout power and that without that, he's a very ineffective fighter. But I don't know, man. I I think that was a poor performance, one, by Yoel. I'm really impressed by Phil Davis being able to take down as many times in the third round as he did. That was impressive. But it's like ever since Apollo cost a fight, Yoel hasn't been the same fighter. He looked like dog shit against Yo, uh, Izzy, and he looked like dog shit last, uh, last Saturday against Phil Davis. Like, he's what happened? Timid, did, did Apollo cost him so hard that he's afraid to get hit now? Like, uh, he, I he, think he, so. He doesn't throw punches anymore. What happened to wild, crazy Yo- Yoel where he just swing for the fences? He has an iron – oh, he had an iron chin, right? I mean, he had wars, absolute wars with people, and that's what made him such a fun and entertaining guy. He's, he's – where is he now? He's, he's not that guy. No, I absolutely agree, and I think we both had pretty high hopes for Yoel moving over into Bellator, but – Rumble – hey, Rumble's <laughs> out versus Vadim Nemkov too. That was the best fight in that Grand Prix, too, which really fucking upsets me. I know. And it's not like they can reschedule it either, right? No. I mean, no. And nobody wants to see Vadim Nemkov versus Phil Davis 3. No. I'm just hype on looking ahead to the near future. I believe October 2nd, so not this Saturday, but next Saturday, is MVP versus Douglas Lima, too. And oh. we both know that if MVP gets this victory, he's coming to the UFC. Dude, will everybody say prayers for MVP because we want to see him in the UFC, arguably Badly. against Stephen Boy. I mean, it's just crazy, man. I saw, I saw a fictional matchup on the internet where it would be Michael Venom Page versus Kamaru. And I, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far yet, 
but I'm definitely willing to ride the MVP hype train against perhaps anybody else in the UFC's division outside of Usman and maybe Colby. What about Mazadov? That would be sick. That'd be a wicked fight, man. That would be a banger of a fight. I, j- I think it would be hard to script. I think it would be hard to get Masvidal to take it because you can't build the hype around MVP or Michael Chandler in their first fight in the UFC the same way you can, you know, for a guy that's whipping people in the UFC's asses. But, damn, Bellator is really starting to up the ante. Yeah, for sure, and I think they know that too. I mean, they've got some big names. You know, you got Corey Anderson, you got Rumble Johnson, Yoel you know, homegrown like Douglas Lima and uh, MVP. But uh, I think it'll be interesting for sure. And AJ McKee is a fucking killer. Dude, I I just got to say this. We're coming close to the end of the round. But what AJ McKee and his dad were able to do to Patricio Pitbull before that fight and then Pitbull's performance in that fight is almost reflective of Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo. Pitbull did not look like himself in that fight. And I think it's because McKee was so far inside of his head and had him so pissed off. There was nothing he could do about it. Hey, Bellator's for real, folks. Bellator's for real, folks, and that's time. So it sounds like this is another episode of the Calf Kick Experience signing itself out.